Kia ora, kia ora, kia ora, kia ora. Titeroa mai, whakaronga mai. Good to see you, everyone. Tēnā koutou, e homa, no Ahitorerea, no Ingarangi, no uh, Iraki oku tupuna, no poi hakena toraki ahau, ko Faikingi taumata te moanga, ko Tungabi te awa, he tau iwi ahau, ko Josh Isaac ahau. Tēnā koutou. I just, I just welcome, my friends. <laughs> I, I, let, me, let me introduce myself, um, if, you, if you didn't quite catch that in Toreo. Um, welcome to you all, my friends. It's so great to see you here this morning. My ancestors are from Australia, from England, from Iraq. I'm from North Sydney. Uh, I'm from a place called Castle Hill. That's my mountain. Uh, Toongabi is the river that I grew up alongside. I'm a settled person. I've been welcomed into this country. My name's Josh Isaac. It's great to have you here this morning. Now, I love the, I love the way that, that, that Mihi centers me. You know, it's like, here are my ancestors. Here's where I've grown up. Here's some places that are important. Uh, here's, here's where I'm from. By the way, my name's Josh. It's kind of, there's that, there's that um, it's like that centering. That it gives us that perspective of our place in the world. I love the way that Amihi does that. Um, and what I really want to tell you about this morning, actually, is my favorite animal in the whole world. Um, just like sharp left turn there. That's okay. Um, now, you might have, does anyone have a favorite animal? Just like hands up. Have you got a favorite animal? Four, oh, three, four, five people do. That's great. Okay. Um, my animal's better. I'm sorry to tell you, but it's not like a dog or a cat or anything domestic like that. Uh, it's, it's not even big. It's not fierce and wild like a, like a bear or a lion or something like that. No, my favorite animal is this relatively small creature. Uh, it grows in shallow, warm waters, and it's about sort of 15 to 30 centimeters long. Um, so they're not big, about the size of your palm kind of thing. And they are called a mantis shrimp. Has anyone ever heard of a mantis shrimp before? A couple of people have. Oh my goodness, these things are amazing. They're beautiful, right? Look at them. They are amazing. There's two main reasons why I love this animal. Okay, uh, our eyes contain millions and millions and millions of light and motion sensitive cells called cones and rods. I'm about to geek out, sorry, hard on this animal for about five minutes. So if you don't like science or awesome animals, you can just tune out. Sorry. No, look at pretty pictures. It's great. Um, we've got millions of these light-sensitive cells in our eyes called rods and cones. So rods enable us to see like motion and light. Cones enable us to see color. Now, here's a bit of perspective for you. Dogs have two types of these uh, cones in their eyes. So they can see blue and green and, and the combination of the colors that make up blue and green. Humans have three types of these color receptive cells in their eyes. We have blue and green and red. They make up our primary colors. So not only can we see those colors, but we can see the combination of all of those colors. You know, so red and yellow make orange. Blue and red make purple. We get that. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. So humans have three types of these color receptive cells. Butterflies... Butterflies have five types of color receptive cells. So in addition to seeing two other colors that we don't even have names for, they can see this massive spectrum of color that we can't even begin to process with our minds, okay? 
So when it comes to the capacity to see colour, butterflies are almost at the top of the food chain when it comes to seeing colour. There is one animal that sits above them all. Can you guess what it is? The mantis shrimp. Oh my goodness. This, this marvellous creature has not two, not three, not five, but 16 types of colour receptive cells in its eyes. Can you believe that? Can you even imagine it? Actually, that's an unfair question. You can't. You literally cannot imagine it. Your brain does not have the capacity to process this. Like, think about it this way. Where we see a rainbow, our rainbow is derived of just those three primary colours, red, blue, green. When we, we see this beautiful rainbow, the mantis shrimp sees this thermonuclear explosion of beauty and colour. It's phenomenal, right? I love this thing. It gets even better, even better. Because the second reason I love this, this, this mantis shrimp is that despite its size, it is the most, I would describe, creatively violent creature on the planet. This mantis shrimp has, you can kind of see in the photos, it's got these like two raptorial appendages on the front of its body. Now, raptorial appendage, that sounds really clinical, really scientific. I like to call them murder sticks. Just <laughs> these murder sticks, that this, these, these appendages. They, these things, these appendages accelerate with the same velocity as a gunshot from a rifle. Okay? They go from naught to 100 in like not two seconds, not one second, not tenths or hundredths of a second, 0 0.2 milliseconds. That's how fast these things accelerate. Um, to put this into perspective, if we could uh, move our arm with the same speed as these appendages of the mantis shrimp, we'd be able to launch a cricket ball into orbit. Okay? Bit of perspective here, right? All of you are like, I've got a favourite creature now. <laughs> Um, in fact, the, it strikes its prey with such force that it creates an underwater shockwave so powerful, it's, it creates a, 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 this, this effect known as cavitation. And it's like this super low pressure, almost bubble, and, and it causes the water around it to boil. And by boil, I don't mean like nice, tepid, spa bath kind of boil. It gets to temperatures of 5,000 degrees Kelvin. That's the surface of the sun, Okay. This, the force of this bubble collapsing is so powerful that it causes tiny bursts of light to just emit all of a sudden. It's an effect called sonoluminescence. And this happens when, when this uh, mantis shrimp strikes its prey. This thing is flipping phenomenal, right? There's people sitting here just going like, mind blown. <laughs> this, this little thing capable of such beauty and power. And my question is, what the heck does it have to do with us becoming a follower of Jesus? <laughs> That's a great question. I really hope there's a connection. Hey, give me good. Stay with me, team. Um, look, over the course of this follow series, we have been looking at markers of a disciple of Jesus, characteristics um, in our lives that show us we're growing as a follower of Him. And, and I love thinking about these characteristics a little bit like gifts. So check it out this way. So we've got the, the Christ-like character. It's the gift of Christ at work in us. He's changing us to become like Him. We have Bible-based life. It's the gift of God's very words spoken to us, directing us, guiding us, leading us every single day. 
We've got consistent community, the gift of the community of the church, each one of us in relationship with God, helping each other grow in our relationship with God. We have, we've got humble service. We're not just a community for the sake of community. We're community with purpose, with power tools. Remember Simon with his drill? Power tools. We're, we're, we're using them to help each other grow and to build each other up every day. And last week, we talked about joyful generosity, the gift of generosity. It feels a little bit like an oxymoron a little bit, doesn't it, to say joyful generosity and the gift of generosity. But Proverbs 11.24 says that the world of the generous gets larger and larger, while the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller as we learn to wisely steward the gifts and the resources that we have been entrusted with. Uh, God grows us. He, he, he increases what we have and He blesses us, and, and we are blessed in return. How how good is God? We grow in generosity and we get something in return. He's amazing like that. I love it. And today, prayer and worship. Wow. I think it's important for us to know this morning that um, we can't sort of cover every dimension of worship and prayer in our time together today. In fact, I would hazard a guess and say probably more has been spoken about and written about and sung about you know, prayer and worship than probably all of those other markers put together. It is a big topic. So I want to focus us today with one idea, one question. And the question is this. Do we want to see an outpouring and an unleashing of God's power and God's presence in our lives and in our city in the way that causes uh, not just tens or hundreds or even thousands, but hundreds of thousands of people to put their faith in Jesus and to become a follower of Him. Do we want to see that? Oh, is it like a couple of like muted, yeah, I think we do. Okay, let me make this personal for just a second. Do I want to see the outpouring of God's power and God's presence in me and through me and to an extent that it can't help but impact those around me so that as I come into contact with people that chains of bondage and addiction are broken so that lives and relationships are restored so that healing and wholeness is received. Is that what I want to see? Is that the way I want God to use me today? Wow, that's a big question. And the incredible thing is that God has given us these gifts of prayer and worship, and they are like keys to unlocking and unleashing His power and His glory in our lives. So, are you ready? You set? Buckle in. This is going to be awesome. Okay. Because these, these, these sort of two topics of prayer and worship are so big, what I thought was it would be helpful for us to have a, a common denominator, something that we sort of can refer, reference back to. So the definition of worship and prayer that I'm using this morning is this. Worship is positioning ourselves in God's reality. Worship, positioning ourselves in God's reality. Prayer is positioning God in our reality. Now, you might have a, a different or even a better definition of worship and prayer. That is totally fine. That's okay. Um, but what I'm trying to point out is that um, if God is who He claims He is, if, if He is the holy, all-powerful, almighty God that we see revealed through the pages of Scripture, then when you think about it, when you think about prayer and worship, there is actually nothing more audacious than prayer and worship coming into the presence of the Almighty God, asking Him to come into our world. That's a crazy thought when you think about it. And I would, I'd suggest that 
If prayer and worship don't fill us in some way with that, that sense of awe and unparalleled wonder in his presence, then either our view of God is too small or our view of prayer and worship is way too limited. Perhaps today we need a rehabilitation, maybe even a resuscitation of the, our understanding of prayer and worship. So, yeah, what is it about these two incredible gifts that allow us to unleash God's power in the world? I just want to pray for a second and ask that God would speak to us. Lord God, would you open our eyes to see the importance and the power of prayer and worship for today? Lord God, we don't ask for just an, an intellectual understanding, not just a mental assent to the importance of prayer and worship, but God, would it, be, would, it, would it go deep in our lives and would you begin to change us, I pray, in the, your precious and powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at two key passages this morning. Uh, the first is the tail end of a conversation that Jesus is having with a Samaritan woman. Uh, and she's got a really big story, and, and we don't have time to dive into absolutely everything today. Uh, but I would highly encourage you to go and check it out. Th th that passage is truly stunning. Uh, so grab your Bibles or your device. Um, and like I mentioned, we're just looking at a little part. It's John chapter 4. So if you head there, I'll give you a few seconds to get there. We're going to read... Uh, Verses 21 to 24, it'll be up on the screen as well in case you need it. Everyone there? Ready? Here we go. Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman. I love that. Jesus is always caring and noticing the individual. Believe me, dear woman. The time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one that you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews." But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Wow, what an incredible passage. Through this conversation that Jesus is having, He's telling us that when it comes to worship, there is a new model, a new season, a new way of understanding and interacting with God than what people had known before. So I believe we really need to take notice of what he's saying here. Jesus is telling us that in this brave new world of worship, there's, there's a new kind of worshiper. In fact, more than that, that God is seeking this kind of worshiper. He's looking for them. He's noticing them. He's desiring more of them. He's not interested in false worship. There's more than enough of that to go around already. But what gets his attention is true worshipers. Now, I want us to understand the gravity of what Jesus is saying here because in this incredible moment, he completely reorders the worship paradigm for all eternity. In this conversation at a well with a Samaritan woman, Jesus is saying that his coming, his presence on earth is ushering in a new era and it's bringing an end to a system of worship that's no longer about coming to a temple that's made by human hands. It's no longer about coming uh, to God with an animal sacrifice for a, a temporary and an imperfect covering of our sins. It's no longer reliant on a human priest as our intimate Intermediary, the one who comes between God and us. No, it's much better than that. Instead, what Jesus is saying is that where we once had to go to a temple to meet with God, 
God is now going to make his home, his dwelling place, the hearts and the lives of those who seek him. He is available wherever and whenever you are ready. He's saying that the price for our sins has been paid. The sacrifice has been given once for all. And it's not an animal sacrifice. No, it's the one who bears the very name and the very nature of God himself. It is the Lamb of God. And this sacrifice is not made by human hands. It's not made by a human intermediary, but it is our great high priest, the one who is the very articulation of God's word and his character to us. The word made flesh, now made known in the person of Jesus Christ and that through his blood that each and every single one of us now has the capacity to come into his presence that the doorway the the, the entryway into the throne room hasn't quite so much been made open but the door has been taken off its hinges so that we can have a place in God's presence that's what Jesus is saying Man, I don't know about, I've, I've like wept my way through the presentation, through the, the preparation of this message. Like every time I think about all that Jesus has done for us, I just end up crying in adoration. Whew. I love it. Worship unleashes God's power because it opens our eyes to the fact that we have been given access into God's very presence. We get to go straight into the most holy place, the place of intimacy and encounter with God. We get to see him in all his glory and all of his majesty, almost like we've been given new eyes, eyes to see with colors that we haven't even begun to be able to imagine before. And it's all because of the work of Jesus. Hebrews 4 says that uh, we can now come before God's throne of grace with confidence Is that what you did this morning? Did you come with confidence, with joy and expectation that we would meet with him? Or or was there maybe a hesitancy? Maybe there was a a sense of of distraction or perhaps boredom or or, or even worse, maybe apathy. So how how do we change this? How do we grow in our capacity to worship, to recognize the majesty of all that God has done and to enter into his presence? I've got a simple little tool that I hope helps you when, it thinks about, when you think about coming to worship. The first stage of this little process is called preparation. Preparation. Firstly, come ready to give. And I'm not talking about financially. We covered that last week, okay? What I mean is, Come prepared in your heart and in your mind to worship Jesus. And look, I, I know everyone is busy. I know, you know, you've probably, many of us probably have kids to check in uh, to Kids Zone and all of that kind of stuff. But I've got a little challenge for us. What do you think might happen next week when, if let's say you build an extra five minutes into your schedule in the morning and you turn up just a little bit earlier and you get the kids checked in and you spend five minutes preparing yourself for worship, getting ready to bring something to God in worship and ask, and, and just contemplating and thinking about, man, God, you are so good. I, I'm, I'm realizing the moment that you are holy and an awesome God. I'm going to bring that in worship this morning. Second thing is uh, presentation. Come ready to respond. The word worship literally means to bow down in reverence and awe. Worship at its core is a response to God. It's recognizing who God is and who I am in relation to Him. And church, can I say with absolute humility that if we can stand in our, in our times of worship and we sing songs like Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
Or we sing songs like, He shall return in robes of white, the blazing sun will pierce the night, and I will rise among the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. Or we sing, this is one of my favourite ones, Then came the morning that sealed the promise, His buried body began to breathe. Out of the silence, Jesus, our lion, declared the grave has no claim on me. Church, if we can sing those songs and tears of joy and of thankfulness don't begin to fall or shouts of praise and adoration don't begin to erupt or, or knees don't begin to hit the floor in surrender, then Fano, I, I believe that we have missed something of what it means to truly worship. If that's the case, if, that's, if we're coming with hearts that are cold and dead, we're coming with an expectation for entertainment and not a humble position of heartfelt, true worship. Third thing in this little tool is presence. Come ready to encounter God. Come with a, a spirit of expectation. If worship is positioning uh, ourselves in God's reality, then whose job is it to help us to get to that place of recognizing who God is and, and our, our position in relation to him. It's not the worship leader. It's not the worship team. It, it's, it's us. It's our job. No one can force you to become aware of God's presence and power. Like, if you think about it, th these guys up here, they're a little bit like tour guides. That's probably one of the best analogies I can think of for a worship team. They're like, hey, Check out this aspect of God's beauty or see this element of his, his holiness or his wisdom. Let's just, hey, let's just park here for a minute. The view of his, his majesty is wonderful here. That's what the role of the worship team is like. Let's take personal responsibility for coming to worship with an expectation that we are going to meet with God. How does that sound? Sound all right? You guys still with me? Fantastic. Excellent. You know what I really love about these two areas of, of prayer and worship is that Jesus spoke very practically, very clearly about both prayer and worship. And I find that incredible because so often Jesus taught in pictures he would, or metaphors. He would say things like, the kingdom of heaven is like a seed or a tree or a treasure or a feast or something like that. And he used these pictures to, to help people understand, uh, to, to give them a, a sense of who, God's character, who he is. But things are a little different, especially with prayer. Rather than using pictures, uh, Jesus gave us a very concrete example. And because of that difference, I think we need to sort of pay attention. Remember at the beginning, we defined uh, worship as positioning ourselves in God's reality and prayer as positioning God in our reality. And I shared with you uh, my mihi at the beginning. Uh, it's telling a small part of the story of my ancestors and some of the places that are important to me. And like I said, I love the way that, it, that the mihi is like a compass. It, like it gives me my, my true north. It helps me to understand and to reorientate myself and, and to know what's important. But I also sort of feel like my, my mihi at the moment is incomplete. Um, because if I, I were to think about my spiritual family, the family that I've been adopted into in Jesus, then my, my ancestry's changed. Now, instead of just my, my physical family, now I fuck a papa to every tribe and every tongue and every language. And, and my lineage, my, my, my ancestry in Christ is spectacular. It, it contains priests and prophets and, 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 and poets and uh, uh, princes, but it's also got its fair share of prostitutes and 
the poor and the demon-possessed, but every single one of them is important in helping me know who I am in Jesus. Oh, and my mountain, my mountain has changed. I want to say, ko ihu karaiti te moanga, and ko wairu tapu te awa. Jesus is my mountain. He's the rock on which I stand. He's the place that I look to for shelter and for protection. And when trouble comes, I, I don't look to the mountains, to the places of, of physical safety. No, I, I look to the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's where my, my shelter comes from. And our Holy Spirit is my river. The Spirit is my source of life and of strength. And it's the river that I, I can go to at any time. It's not something that I return to, but I can take it with me wherever I go. And it fills me with the presence of the living God. The way that I access these realities, the way that I remind myself of these realities is through the simple yet profound act of prayer. Prayer unleashes God's power in our lives by reorientating us. Uh, again, I've got a simple little tool that can help us understand a little bit more about how to approach God in prayer. Um, and, it's, and it's a model you're probably familiar with. You might have heard before. We, we call it the, the Acts model uh, for, for, for prayer. Uh, and it revolves around sort of four little steps. The first one is adoration. Adoration. So A-C-T-S, Acts. Adoration. So worship and prayer, I love it. They, they dovetail together. In many ways, uh, where worship ends, prayer begins. I really love how they go together. Adoration helps us remember who it is we are coming to. God in all his power, all of his holiness, all of his grace, all of his mercy. It would be safe to say that for, uh, for me and for my family, the last couple of months have, have been a pretty rough time. Uh, it sort of all began in late February with the suicide of one of my best friends in New Zealand. We'd, um, I'd known him even before I moved to New Zealand and um, his... Uh, the, the loss of him as a friend has just left this gaping wound in our hearts. Uh, shortly after that, my, my beautiful auntie, who was a mum to so many uh, kids in her church community in Sydney, uh, she, she lost her battle with leukemia. And then uh, not long after that, we got this devastating news of, of this, this horrible, aggressive cancer diagnosis for my sister-in-law, Mel. And she's a mum with three young kids, and this diagnosis just came completely out of the blue. And, and over the course of these three or four months, uh, it's just felt like blow after blow after blow. And we had just received this, this diagnosis for Mel, and her cancer markers were literally a thousand times higher than what normal levels are supposed to be. And then I, I got asked to lead at one of the open worship nights that we have. <laughs> awesome, great. <laughs> Uh, if you were to sort of like look into my soul at the moment, I'm, I'm sure it would have been as dry as a desert. And not that, I, I mean, I love worshipping with the community of the church, but it just felt like I had nothing to give. But God's good, right? He knows what we need, just we need it. The songs that came out that night, oh my goodness, <laughs> told you I'd be crying. The songs that came out that night spoke straight into this situation. Um, we sung songs like, Faithful You Are faithful forever you will be. We sang, I believe in you. You are the God who brings the dead to life. You are the God of miracles. We sang, death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. Had the situation changed? No, nah, not at that point. Was cancer still there? Yep, sure was. Had I changed? 
totally. But why? Because now I know who's on my side. Now I'm conscious of the, the God who is in control and the God for whom uh, death itself is not a barrier to life, before whom the God, before whom the mountains melt like wax and before whom one day every knee will bow, including, I believe, cancers, and one day every tear gets wiped from every eye. For me, prayer is no longer about this theoretical, abstract conversation with a distant God, no. Now I'm... I know that when I pray, I'm coming before the creator of the universe, the one who holds all things in the palm of his hand, and I'm interceding with him on behalf of Mel, my sister-in-law, and I'm saying, Almighty God, if there was ever a time where we needed your presence and your power and your goodness, now's the time. Now's the time we need you. Has Mel been healed yet? Not yet. Not yet. But... I maintain that God's good. And those cancer markers that were once a thousand times higher are now half of what they used to be. I believe he's going to heal her. Prayer unleashes God's power because in prayer we ask the God of the universe, the God of the infinite, in all his power, this eternal God, to enter into our reality and to bring with him the reality of all that he is. Church, if we only knew the power that is available to us in prayer. We started with adoration, acknowledging who God is. The next part of this little process is confession. And what I love about this confession is that uh, you might think of it as um, bringing to God areas of sin in your life, asking him to, to change you. Uh, what I love is that in the New Testament, um, the word for repentance is metanoia. What it literally means is a change of mind. We're renewed by the renewing of our mind. I love this idea. And so uh, confession can be that godly sorrow, that God, I'm, I'm wrong and I need to change. That's really good. But it also can be, God, man, I didn't realize who you are. I'm gaining a new appreciation for your holiness. And I, sometimes when I've approached you, I've come with too much familiarity. I'm sorry for that, God. I'm really sorry. Would you give me another chance? And that leads us into our next point, thanksgiving. If, if, uh, if there is confession or repentance from sin, then immediately there is something to be thankful for. We can be thankful for a second chance, or we can be thankful for the mercies that are new for today, for us. There's so much that we have that we can be thankful for. And then the last part of this little process, supplication, or another word for it might be asking um, asking God for things. Um, but I, I, I want to sort of challenge us a little bit in this because if, if your prayer life is anything like mine, there's far too many, like, God, I'd really love a handy car park kind of prayers. And there's not enough, God, will you raise this dead person to life kind of prayers. And so my challenge for us this week is would you begin to take notice of the prayers that you're pr praying this week? And I, I suspect that that will tell us a lot about our perspective of God if we begin to notice the kind of prayers we are or maybe aren't praying. 
like I said before, Jesus gave us this really specific example of how we are to pray. And this comes from uh, Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he tells them, you don't need to pray with big, flashy words that impress people. Um, you don't need to, to pray out loud and, and in public. No, you need to think like the mantis shrimp. Small but powerful. Okay, he didn't say that last bit, but I'm sure that was in his mind. I'm pretty sure. Um, but what, what he said was, find a quiet place, come into God's presence. And he gave us this template to use. And I'm just going to invite the team to come up. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning as we close. The team's going to lead us uh, into worship. And what, what we're going to do as we do that is I want us to firstly read God's word and then I want us to pray, and then out of that, we're going to worship. And what I mean is, first, you're going to need something to write with. So it could be your phone, could be a notepad or a pen. And I'm going to read just a little stanza of, of this prayer, how Jesus taught us how to pray. And I'll read this, this little phrase, and then I want you to, to see what God says to you about it. And I want you to write it down, okay? Write it on your phone, Write on your pad and paper if that's what you've got. Totally fine. You're allowed to use your phones at this moment in church. Congratulations. Um, and then we'll go through the, we'll repeat that process and I'll pray and we'll go to the next stanza and the next one. And when we get to the end of it, we're going to respond in worship. We're going to respond. We, we, we would have spent time hearing from God, having our perspective of Him adjusted, and then we're going to worship like nothing else out at the end of that. Does that sound all right? Okay. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, holy, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, I thank you for your holiness. You dwell in unapproachable light and yet you invite us into your presence. Lord, I pray that we would never take your presence for granted, that we would know you as the holy, eternal, awesome God that you are. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. God, I thank you for the fact that you have given us today exactly what we need. You have given us, I thank you, you have given us not just today's bread, but yesterday's bread and the day before that and the day before that and the day before that. And because of that, we know that you're going to be faithful tomorrow. We thank you for that, Jesus. And God, we, we lay our lives bare before you and, and we say, God, if there is an element of unholiness of unrighteousness in our lives God would you root it out 
Our desire is that we may ascend the hill of the Lord with clean hands and pure hearts. That's what we desire. God, would you do that? And lead us, God, not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.